Oh, what is going on? Christian Gokel and Cam Urshery coming to you live from the Weston Jekyll Island for the 2021 Ben Troop Florida Georgia Legend Series. So happy to have you all alongside here. Hey, Cam, listen, I'm looking out over beautiful ocean, palm trees, beaches. There's, I can smell food coming from the kitchen. And uh, you're, you're back in the studio right now. What's going on, man? <laughs> Yeah, don't rub it in my face, but, I mean, yeah, you got a nice little scenery. I'm still, you know, back in the studio, but, you know, one of us got to make it happen, and you're making it happen right now. Hey, somebody's got to hold it down for the home team. But, again, we have the Ben Troop Florida Georgia Legend Series coming up tomorrow night. We'll be here from 2 to 6 today, also broadcasting live tomorrow afternoon here at the Western Jekyll Island, uh, and then coming up tomorrow at 7 o'clock the round table featuring legends from Jacksonville and just that game that's such a huge part of the college football landscape from the Georgia side, Willie McClendon, the legendary Georgia running back, Daryl DJ Jones, who was a member of that 1980 national championship team, Wayshawn Ely, of course, everyone remembers that uh, interesting uniform concept that Georgia broke out while Wayshawn was there with the uh, black helmet, black pants, white uniform, and then for the Florida side, their all-time leading receiver, Carlos Alvarez, catching passes from the legendary Heisman Trophy winner, Steve Spurrier, Jeff Chandler, a, a member of the Florida-Georgia Hall of Fame, a kicker there, D. Webb, a former defensive back for the Florida Gators, and of course, our resident Florida Gator, All-American, Ben Troop, hosting everything. So tomorrow night, coming up at 7 o'clock, the Florida-Georgia Legend Series at the Weston Jekyll Island here. Come out completely free to the public it's a it's an absolutely gorgeous scene out here and it should be perfect weather we're getting all the rain out of the way today we got kevin thomas over here we have cam this is dangerous we have hoodie kevin right now oh i have to see this <laughs> yeah oh hold, let's see if we can uh we can, i can probably pan over here and we can just take a gander at there's hoodie kevin wow okay it's basically hoodie mellow right yeah dangerous attribute levels go up <laughs> it's shooting <laughs> Yeah, his shooting, ball handling, everything goes up when you put well, the I mean, hoodie on. I mean, we, we could we could talk about what Mello was doing a little bit later. <laughs> oh Lord, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that shot was that was an interesting choice there by Mello. But no, Cam, we got to talk about what happened last night. The Braves, they fall. Kevin shaking his head, shaking his hood. Braves fall in Game Two of the World Series, Cam, and it was kind of like you flipped the script a little bit from Game One. All the mistakes that the Astros made, all of the lucky hits that the Braves were able to poke through, that just kind of flipped through. The Astros were just playing small ball, able to send the ball through the through the uh, shift, and that's really where Braves fans kind of lost their mind on Twitter was, how many more times are we going to have them hit the other way in the shift? But I, I'm looking at this game, and I think, look, it was the dream start. Solaire hits the home run, first uh, at-bat of the World Series. You take game one. I think a lot of people started thinking, like, could the Braves kind of make this a – walk in the park here no you, you did your job you took one out of two in houston and now you're coming back home for three straight in atlanta there is still a chance you can finish this thing up in atlanta it's going to be interesting with a loss of charlie morton but I, i'm not freaking out about last night nah a fan shouldn't freak out if you know anything about seven game series you take one on the road as a road team in either game one or two it's a success now you're talking about three straight games if you go two and one in that stretch what you're three and two in the series um, right. Yeah, I mean, if if you're a Braves fan, you should be happy being up 1-1. I mean, I kind of expected what happened last night. I expected that to happen, but 
I mean, hey, you're one one, tied coming home, got three straight games. You could end the series coming home or go up three two. Yeah, and everyone looking at that the four runs given up by Max Free in the second inning there, and I'm sure Kevin's gonna talk about this, but I want I just want nodding confirmation from Kevin when I make this take. I don't think Max Freed pitched a bad game last night. I just think I, I just I just think a lot of those were just balls that were gonna be if you were just playing regular defense, they're right to a second baseman or a shortstop. They're what they call seeing eye singles, a whole lot of seeing eye singles. That's gonna happen every now and then. I I don't think Max Freed pitched badly. I just need a nod or a head shake. Kevin says first inning was bad, but the other four were okay. You only gave up one run in the first inning. All right, Kevin's saying he's getting roped. I'm saying he gave up one run. It was the second inning where you had Dansby Swanson kind of lost his mind a little bit. He made an error. Usually he's a vacuum cleaner there at shortstop, but he makes an error. Ozzy Albies, they, they weren't able to turn two a couple of times when they would typically turn two and get out of it. So it's just, it was, you got you just got to immediately flush that film. Can't, you, that's not the Braves. Maybe the best defensive infield in baseball. That that's not them. You got to flush that one, and just a lot of lucky hits. Where if they were a foot to the left or right, those are easy outs for the Braves. So it is what it is. You lose game two, you're still tied. You take a game in Houston, so you take home field advantage away from them. Listen, Cam, Truist Park's gonna be nuts coming up this weekend. Oh yeah, it's it's gonna be nuts. I feel bad for all the non Braves fan or non baseball watchers because that traffic right there. Anything back in the, that traffic is going to be really bad, but it's going to be nuts. I hope the Braves can play off that momentum in the crowd and just win three straight games and wrap this thing up in Atlanta. Oh, it's going to be something serious. But uh, again, this weekend, you're going to have the Braves in the World Series, what, game four on Saturday, but also in Jacksonville a little bit earlier in the day. You got a pretty big one, Cam, coming up in the SEC East. The number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs taking on the unranked Florida Gators, and that's kind of become the narrative of this weekend is in three and out has had a bunch of former Gator players on and it's all, listen, we, we just, we just got to play Georgia. Like we always play Georgia. We, we we're supposed to be Georgia. We're supposed to be Georgia. This is a different situation to me. Cam, we talked about it yesterday and their last eight power five games, Florida's two and six. Yep. And one of those wins is over Vanderbilt. Yep. This is, this is not the early two thousands Florida team. This isn't the 2020 Florida team. Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts aren't walking through that door. So, I, I'm looking at this one, Cam, and I get that Georgia's a heavy favorite. 14 points, I, I think that's probably about right. I think that's a good line. I might even have it set a little bit higher than that. But I also understand in rivalries, you kind of have to throw the records out because Florida's going to come out and give Georgia their best shot. It's just my opinion, Cam, looking at everything. Florida's biggest strength is also Georgia's biggest strength, which is running the football versus defending the run. I think Georgia's better at defending the run than Florida is at running. I think that's what it's going to come down to. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Georgia's number one in the country by a landslide for a reason. But also, um, this is a rivalry game, like you said. I think the first quarter will be kind of choppy. You, you'll probably see like a 7-3 game or maybe a 7-0 game, Georgia's favor or maybe Florida's favor. But I think when it when it's all said and done at the end of the fourth quarter, I can see Georgia win the game maybe 31-14, kind of in that range, win by 17 points. Kind of like an ugly game, but – it's a rivalry, and this is what we like college football for. It's the only sport you really kind of get this type of feeling each and every year for the sport, and I'm, I'm excited. It's Georgia-Florida every year. I'm excited for that. And it's going to be a massive matchup, and I think, again, Florida's 4-3, and three, and we talked about this yesterday. It's been a different area of the team 
that's really been their demise in the different games, right? We talked about LSU as the defense. Kentucky, the offense only put up 13 points and had all of those procedure penalties. Uh, and then, listen, you are an extra point away from being tied with Alabama and taking them to overtime. And then, as we saw with uh, – got to get a barb in here on PJ because he decided not to hop on the show with us today. As we saw, <laughs> anything can happen in overtime. Penn State and Illinois showed us that. So – Again, it's been a different area of the football team that, that's been the demise for the Gators in those three games. But I think if they come out and they're solid in all three aspects, this is going to be a tight game. Now, there have been some Florida fans. Now, sorry, we're, uh, we just got some uh, music going on here at the uh, the, the Weston on Jekyll. Now, there have been some Florida Gators who have come out and said, this is the best team Georgia's played so far. And I found that interesting because, Cam, remind me, didn't Georgia beat Kentucky, a team that beat Florida? Absolutely. So I, I don't know that I'm inherently with that narrative, but I do think this is going to be a dogfight on the field. I think Florida, if they come out and they're able to play well in all three aspects of the game, at least in the first quarter, this is going to be a lot closer than people expect. But I just think depth-wise, I think the fact that this is maybe – the more underrated aspect of this Georgia team, they don't turn the football over versus Florida. Emory Jones has nine interceptions already. Anthony Richardson has three in less than 40 pass attempts. They don't do a great job of holding on to the football. I I just, I'm not seeing the narrative in which Florida pulls this off. Yeah, I don't see it either. And that's Georgia's strength, getting turnovers, getting stops, feeding off that defense. And if you're talking about your quarterback, both of them coming in with 12 combined picks in what, seven games, that's really bad. Um, especially going against that defense. So I, I expect it to get a little ugly. It's going to be a little choppy first quarter, but once things get settled in, Georgia's going to get that thing rolling in. Georgia about at least three, four scores. Oh, well, Cam already called it three, four scores there. That's a, yeah. That'd be a big one. I think 14, I think that's a pretty good line right there, maybe just a little bit over. I don't know about three or four scores, but we'll see. I, I've been wrong before about picking against Georgia with this spread this season. They've uh, – They've done a really good job of covering some of those big point spreads. So we'll see. we got more to come here on second down again live from the beautiful Weston Jekyll Island here. You know, we've got the rain clearing out a little bit. There might even be some time to squeeze in a late round of golf here. It might be a, a little soggy. Definitely no carts. You're going to have to walk it. But I know Kevin's here for that. So, again, out here on the beautiful, looking at the beach, looking at palm trees. Cam is looking at a computer screen in the office. You know, it's just the, the perks of being the host. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I'm looking, looking at, at me sideways. Screen. We'll take a quick break here before Cam gets too mad at me. We'll come back. We're going to catch up with Sean Quinn, head football coach of the Spanish State Tigers, here in a little bit. We'll come back, talk more about this Georgia Florida game, talk some more World Series as well. Right here, ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Christian Gokel live from the beautiful Weston on Jekyll Island here as we are getting ready for the 2021 Ben Troop Legend Series coming up tomorrow night at 7 p.m. We're gonna have so many awesome players from this game's history. Cam, what are some of your what are some of your favorite games that stick out in your mind from this series? I know you're still relatively young, <laughs> y- younger than I am. I'll give you that. But what are some of your favorite memories from this game? Oh man, I think I have to go. But it was one year they had a. I, th- I want to say it was with Jarvis Jones. It was a close game, and Georgia uh, had won yeah. that. That was that was one I could definitely remember when, when he uh, when he punched the ball out from Jordan Reed's yeah, when he was yes. trying to jump into the end zone. Yeah, that, that's the game I definitely remember. That might be number one on my list because was that, I, a, was that the same game? And I'll, I'll get I'll get confirmation from Kevin on this one. Was that the same game that Malcolm Mitchell caught had, that pass from yes. Aaron Murray and was able to able to 
sort that, of hit the button hook and then break a tackle and run in for the score? Yeah, that's the same was game. That, was that the Jarvis Jones games, Cam? Yeah, that's the same game. All right. Um, that's probably my number one. Um, I remember we dominated Florida a couple years back, 42-7, so I'll put those that's, up that there. That was a good one for Georgia fans. So, uh, I, I, those are probably – I know that's number one, definitely. The catch from Malcolm Mitchell, the Jarvis Jones game. So, that's probably my top one. Well, I mean, Ben Troop has a pretty big one back in 2002, catching the pass over Thomas Davis. That one would be the only loss for Georgia in 2002. And, I mean, that, that, that catch kind of brought all of us here right now. So, that's that's funny to think about. But, I mean, I think about 2007 – where you have no Sean scoring the first touchdown, and the entire team runs out onto the field, celebrates mm-hmm. all the flags. I don't think there was a flag left in an official's pocket. Georgia goes on to win that game. And then the very next year, Urban Meyer uh, up big, just demolishing Georgia, calls a timeout just to kind of let it simmer for a second, let Georgia think about it for a second, and they go on to win that one. There's just There have been so many moments from this game throughout the years and obviously going to be talking about that more on three and out. The guys have so many great interviews lined up coming up today and tomorrow. Then of course, in person, you can come hang out with some of the Florida and Georgia legends. I mean, listen, it's Georgia's RBU and you can hang out with Willie McClendon and way Sean Ely. It doesn't get better than that. So come hang out with us tomorrow night at the Weston Jekyll Island. There are still rooms available. You can get your room here, get it on Friday and Saturday night. You wake up on Saturday morning after hanging out with Florida and Georgia legends. You go down to the game in Jacksonville, and you, you come back up, and you get to stay right on the beach. I mean, it doesn't get better than that, Cam. No, nah, it doesn't get better than that. Stay right on the beach, going to see some football. You know, everything else, I'm, I'm going to leave this closed, but it's going to be a, a, a great time. <laughs> it's going to be a great time. Now, I do want to ask you this. There are some other really big games coming up this weekend, Cam, and obviously everyone around the country looking at Michigan and Michigan State Two undefeated teams, two seven and zero teams. Uh, do you have two for real teams in that game? Do you have one for real team taking on a, a pretender, or in your mind, are they both pretenders? I, I think both of them are for real. Um, for real really? as for real as in winning the Big Ten. I, I I think Ohio State's better than both, but I think okay, both. So are what for, is your what is your definition of for real then? I think for real as in say Michigan State wins this game. I think they went out the rest of their schedule and lose to just Ohio State. They finish 11-1. And if okay. they do that, their resume is good enough to make some noise. I mean, but I do know this. Whoever wins this game will catapult into that top four. I really do believe that. Interesting. I, I, I don't know that either one of them are for real. I don't know if I trust the offense for either one of those teams. I mean, Michigan's had to bench their starting quarterback multiple times. And listen, Michigan State – they got a defense, and I know. Listen, I know that team is close to your heart, Cam. So just don't don't get mad at me when I start saying negative things. But I will say, Kenneth Walker, their running back, one of the top three running backs in college football right now. Oh like, yeah, I got a soft spot for Bijan Robinson, but I think Kenneth Walker is right behind him. That's going to be a big one. Of course, Ole Miss and Auburn coming up, Cam. The over under in that game, I think, is pretty interesting, Cam. Do you would, if you were setting the line, if you were Vegas? Where would you set the over-under line for Auburn Ole Miss? Ah, uh, man, I think – I would say 77. 77, so you're expecting that kind of game. Like a 42, they have it at 66. Yeah, like a 42-35 type of game. I could see that happening. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. It's like the price is right. You're, you're taking the over. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. 
<laughs> All right, so can, the can line right there sitting at 77. Vegas has it at 66. For the last two games, this vaunted Ole Miss offense only able to put up 31 points. Yeah, that's does, that's does that dissuade you at all, Cam, against this Auburn running attack? Uh, I don't think it sways me at all. I think Matt Corral and them. I mean, they still got W's at the end of the day, but I think Matt Corral and them they get it. They get it together, and I think this is this is going to show me a little something. You lost to Alabama, we give you a pass. But Matt Corral, you got to go into Auburn and win this game if we're talking about you being the best quarterback in the country. Man, you're, you're already you're already hopping off the boat, Nick. Oh no 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 no. I love I love my boy Bo. He's been showing out this year. Bo Nix, he's been doing his thing. He had a couple of rough patches, but uh, if we're talking about, I don't think Bo Nix is a NFL prospect, but Matt Corral, we consider him a a, a first round no, yeah, pick, the number one quarterback prospect. Yeah, he's the number one quarterback yeah. prospect. So I'm thinking you got to go in this game. You got to go in um, Jordan here and win this one. We'll see. I my my bet would be on the under. I'm I think it's going to be under 66 points in this game. I think this could be one where you max out in the high 20s. Like I can see this as like a 27-24 kind of a game. I don't think Ole Miss is going to be able to put up 50-60 points on Auburn. And I think Bo Nix, Brian Harson, and Mike Bobo have kind of figured out what makes them comfortable. And also, I think it's kind of big that Tank Bigsby is getting healthier and healthier. I think he's going to be a bigger part of this. He's still averaging five yards a carry, mm-hmm. but he only has 100 carries so far this season. And I think we were expecting to see maybe double that by this point in the year. But obviously, injuries have a lot to do with that. So we'll see. But again, we got to take a quick break here. We're going to come back. We'll catch up with the head football coach of the Savannah State Tigers, Sean Quinn, break down what was a tough loss for them over the weekend, but the season and the playoffs are still out there for them to go get. So we'll catch up with Sean Quinn next right here on ESPN Radio, and then we'll wrap up second down, get you ready for three and out live from the West. On ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source, Christian Gokel alongside Cam Mercery, live from the Westin on Jekyll Island as we're looking out on blue skies now. Rain has cleared out and getting ready for the 2021 Ben Truth Legends Series. But joined as we are every Thursday afternoon by the head football coach of the Savannah State Tigers, Sean Quinn. Coach, listen, I'm not trying to brag, but I'm looking at you two guys, and I see an office and an office, and I'm I'm looking over my left shoulder at the beach. So it's not very often that I'm in a better situation than you are, but I might I might say that's the case today. Well, I mean, Cam's got a good situation there. He's got a find-a-way poster behind him, a good-looking Savannah State helmet, and then he's got the only negative, a Cleveland Brown helmet, which he probably needs <laughs> to use as a as a book stop or something. So, um, but uh, no, we're the West, and that's beautiful out there. Maybe you can get me a free room out there. I'll definitely go out there. That's a good spot out there, and Jekyll's a beautiful place. And anytime you get to be around the legend that is Ben Troop, life is grand, you know? Yeah, I don't have that uh, Ben Troop, B.J. Bennett, Kevin Thomas swing just yet. But I'll see. I'll see what I can pull. But coach, uh, before we dive too far into this, just a, a rough showing, I think is the best way to put it. I know uh, you, you really don't beat around the bush when it comes to these things. Not the performance for your team that you're used to, as you guys fall thirty to nothing there up at Albany State. What was your biggest takeaway from this one? We didn't play well. We got to own it. They outplayed us. Uh, you know, if you lose a football game and you play your very best, you can live with that. But when you play poorly um, and you're out efforted, out whatever, um, it's disappointing. And, and, you know, defensively we played well for, you know, three quarters and then kind of the dam broke there at the end. But the offensively it was an abyss. Uh, it just didn't play well. You win and lose as a team. But uh, it's disappointing because we've got ability to win. Um, obviously we'd love to play those guys again, and that may down the road this year happen. But right now 
Um, we got to learn from it. I got to coach better. I didn't have our guys ready to play. And, you know, we were on a six-game winning streak, and maybe you let some things go. I don't know that, you know, just done a lot of uh, soul searching on what we can do better. Um, unfortunately, or probably fortunately in this case, I don't get to play. So, um, you know, I challenged our players that we got to come back, play better. Um, but when you got a lot at stake and you don't play well, it's always that much more disappointing. So all week I've tried a bunch of different pizza. It's tasted like sawdust all week. So uh, we got we got to get a W this week and the food will taste better. It'll be like staying at Holiday Express again. Absolutely. Always, always better to do these after a win, coach. But just looking, I know for you guys, outrushing the opponent is always the number one thing that you're trying to do on the offensive side of the ball. Less than 100 yards in this game. What were they able to do against you guys up front that prevented you to get into that option game? You know, they moved the front. They brought a lot of pressure, um, and we didn't pick it up. I mean, kudos to them for being smart enough to continually do stuff that's working. You know, one of the things that's interesting in college football haven't been a coordinator for a number of years is, and, you know, I talked to Bud Foster who was at Virginia tech quite a bit about this when I would go visit with him is how often offenses would have a successful play and then never call that play again. And most people never call something the same play two times in a row uh, because they're trying to get too cute. They're a guru or whatever. And, you know, Albany state did a nice job of continually going to the well with the same things and daring us to throw the football zero pressures bringing eight, nine, um, and leaving guys uncovered, in fact. So we didn't hit some open guys. So, um, you know, kudos to them. You know, that's just – but, uh, like I said, you have those games. It happens to everybody. I told our team I was at LSU, I was at Tennessee, Georgia Southern, and every one of those places we had really quality football teams, and we lost and had a game where we got outplayed mightily. Um, and it's part of the business sometimes. So got to rebound, got to practice well, um, and get the bad taste out of our mouth this weekend. I was going to ask, what's the approach with a team when you do have a game like that? I know uh, just not able to really establish yourself on offense and then defensively, like you said, able to play well enough to keep your team in the game through the first three quarters, but still over 250 yards through the air given up right there, and then they go over 100 yards on the ground as well. What's the approach after a game like that the next week in practice when prior to that you guys had ripped off six wins in a row? Well, I'm going to answer that twofold. Number one, you and Jesse Palmer and all the RPO people of the world, the number one stat right now in division football that determines wins is the Russian, Russian differential, which is interesting. Right now, it's the number one indicator in college football this year. For the teams that win the rushing battle, it's almost 800% winning. Um, we've had six wins and two losses. Here's the common denominator in those. It wasn't the turnover margin, which it normally is. In the two games we lost, we were outrushed. In the, in the six games we won, we won that handily. So, um, my approach has been, you know, internally, I'm looking at everything going, what do I need to blow up, change, do better personally? And then also, you know, you can't panic uh, just because something didn't go well. So you got to figure out what can you do better? And I'll be the first one to tell you, they outplayed us. They played with great effort, played better than we did. And then we had a poor week of practice. And I just, you know, kept saying, hey, you know, it's whatever. We, we'll figure this out and just tried to sugarcoat it in my mind. But I knew. Uh, kind of looking at it that we didn't practice well and, and we didn't play well Saturday. So you got to go back and that's the, you know, the bedrock foundation of any good win is a good week of work. And I think every coach will tell you that. And when you don't have a good work week, you generally feel like, hey, we may not play great. And uh, it's like going for a test. You don't study all week. It's hard to perform good at the test time. So um, we've had a better week, but uh, we got to keep pushing it. You know, for me, the challenge with this team, it's a very immature team compared to the team I had two years ago. Uh, only six seniors. So just a lot of young guys that are talented, but uh, when things are going well, they do great. When things are tough, that's the part we got to fight through. 
Well, Coach, Fort Valley State coming up this weekend. They're 5-3 and three on the year in a team that's pretty much played everybody tough here, Coach. What do you expect to see out of them? Uh, they're going to play us hard. It's Hatfields McCoys. It's an uh, old rivalry. Uh, there's a lot of hatred, a lot of venom there uh, in a good way, which I enjoy. I know these people now want everything to be PC at the stadium. I enjoy it when the crowd's rough and raucous and they're getting after you. I think that's part of college football and what makes Certainly. it great. And, uh, you know, there's a there, this is a good rivalry. Um, they're going to play hard. They've got the best wide receiver in the league, we think. Um, uh, number 17 is from Jacksonville, a really good football player. Got a good staff. They've done a good job there. They play harder. They run the football. They're committed to doing that, which they weren't in the past. So, you know, we'll have to play our best ball. We do that, we'll be fine. But we got to play good football, and and, uh, and when things get tough, we got to find a way to grind through them. And coach, an interesting opportunity here as well as you guys in the SEAC uh, have agreed with ESPN Plus to broadcast a portion of y'all's game. This will be one of those ESPN Plus games, and hopefully, it gets to the point where every game that you guys play inside the SEAC is broadcasted there. But what does it mean for you to have your team be available for everyone in the country and around the world to watch? Well, we got a lot of fans um, that are all scattered all over, but uh, obviously anytime you can get on TV and hopefully represent and put out a good product, um, you know, you and I have talked at length. We're at the beginning of this thing, trying to build a facility, trying to get some things in place that the normal schools have a weight room and just establish a nutrition things to show our product and then say, hey, listen, if you guys will help us, we got this much farther to go. So anytime you get on TV, that's a great deal. And um, hopefully that's kudos to the kids and the people here on campus and the league for working that. Um, I know Division Two. sometimes it's hard to see those games and find them. And, and, and I hate that for a lot of kids because there's a lot of good football players that don't get seen by the average folks and get to watch sometimes maybe, no offense, some bad Mac football on a Tuesday. Sure, and again, coming up 2 p.m. on Saturday, you guys were taking on, uh, again, Fort Valley State, and you can watch them on ESPN+. Plus. But, Coach, looking at this rivalry, and I know you've been a part of a ton of rivalries throughout your career, what are some of the fun aspects of these games, walking into an opponent's stadium in a rivalry game? Like, it's always fun to have your rival come home, but like I said, you kind of got a smirk when you were like, hey, it's cool to be the bad guy coming into the home stadium. Oh, yeah, it's nice to play the villain every once in a while. Um, fortunately, I play it more often maybe than I care to. But, uh, you know, definitely, uh, you know, I look back at the places. You know, I got to LSU. I had no idea how big the LSU-Ole Miss rivalry was and how big the LSU-Auburn rivalry was. Um, and, you know, they had, Florida was another big one. I mean, they had a number of games that had just a ton of tradition. This game was a cigar game. This game here was this. It was a Magnolia Bowl. And so I think anytime you can be part of games that have meaning because of the history behind them, that's pretty unique. Um, one of the things that was disappointing about being in the MEAC when we were in it, there wasn't a lot of rivalries and there wasn't a lot of history. And so getting back in this league, there's a history of playing Albany State and Fort Valley and some of these other schools. And there's alumni from there and there's kind of a friendly rivalry or hated rivalry, however you want to explain it. And I think those are fun to be part of. And when you win, they're that much more fun. Um, so for me, I, I'm glad we're in games that people care about and uh, they'll talk around the water cooler about them. Yeah. And, to you just experiencing those throughout your careers, what are some of your favorite ones either that you've participated in or just throughout the fabric of college football? What are some of your favorite rivalries? Well, I was really fortunate when I was at Tennessee, they had had a long streak of losing to Alabama, which is now back in effect again. But that, uh, I think a second Saturday in October for generations was when they played. And when I was there, the three years we were there, I was three and zero against them. And, and man, that was a great experience you got uh, a cigar after the game and everybody celebrated and we sang 
we don't give a damn about the whole state of Alabama because we're from Tennessee, which was always a fun song to sing after that win. Um, but uh, just that was a lot of fun. Uh, Georgia Southern, the App State rivalry was a blast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, we, we, you know, we won it at home one year. They were number one in the country. We tore down the goalposts. Our fans did. And that was a lot of fun and, and kind of a, a start of a good run. And, you know, like I said, LSU, there was some really – the Auburn rivalry really surprised me until I got in it how intense that was and how much there was uh, – you know, from what I understand now, it's because a lot of the folks at LSU and Auburn all go down to Destin, Florida and that area to vacation. So you can go down that whole Gulf Coast and it's literally LSU and Auburn flags everywhere. And uh, so there's a bunch of rivalries there. So been 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 part of some good ones. Um, Lafayette and Monroe, we won the conference championship one year and there's a lot of hatred there um, because of the names. We're both Louisiana at Monroe at Lafayette and right. Lafayette doesn't want that on their moniker anymore. So there's some fun stuff. But uh I, I would and in Georgia, you know, Florida and LSU. I mean, the Florida and Tennessee was a fun one, and when we won it, that was really fun to be part of. And I know there's different atmospheres, right? When you're in the when you get to the playoffs and you're in games where it's single elimination, that obviously has a different vibe than the regular season. But just kind of a different electricity and just a different. You, you can almost kind of feel all the previous matchups between the two teams when you're a part of a rivalry like that. Definitely, I think if you're a Georgia fan, you don't get quite as excited about playing New Mexico as you do play in Auburn or Florida. I would imagine that the stadium's got a little different Why are you coming after the Lobos? Well, you know, hey, it is what it is, so. And, Coach, just thinking about it, because, I mean, we work with Ben, and he was an All-American in his time at Florida and made plenty of catches and helped win plenty of games. But for him, it's it was in a rivalry game. It was in this game, Georgia-Florida 2002, catching a touchdown pass over Thomas Davis. That's kind of – it's his signature play, and so much of that is kind of what we are just talking about, right? It's the history. It's the rivalry coming into the game. It's the people who have made plays before you just going into these games. You can make one play that can almost define your entire career. Yeah, and the, some of those plays stick with you generationally. Like, you remember when so-and-so made that play back in 96? Yeah. And that's something, you know, guys are – you know, Florida, Tennessee, there's the catch that uh, one of the Florida receivers had on us that wasn't a catch. and. We, I ran into some Florida fans, and they were talking to me about that at a rest stop, of all things. I had a Tennessee shirt on a couple of years ago, and we got talking about the catch that wasn't a catch that I'm sure Ben still thinks was a catch. But, um, you know, there's just really some neat ones. You know, I, I played with a guy named uh, Mike McKinney. His dad was Jeff McKinney, who was the running back at Nebraska with the tearaway jersey for the Oklahoma-Nebraska oh, yeah. game. So he is a legend in Nebraska for that game and will be for the rest of his life um, because of the tearaway jersey. So, you know, you have those rivalries. And, and I think that's what makes college football so awesome is those rivalries. And, um, you know, you have your local rivalries here between the high schools, and we had them when I played. But, uh, man, college football's got some special ones, and I've been fortunate to be part of some really good ones and hopefully a part of a good one this weekend. And obviously, I know you're laser focused on Saturday, as you should be. So you got a big game coming up, a big rivalry game coming up, and you have to hit the road. But Sunday, Coach, it's a big day. It's Halloween. Yeah. I know you, like me, enjoy food. And particularly, I know I enjoy sweets. So what I need from you, Coach, is I need, I need Sean Quinn, if he's building his perfect bag. Uh, he, he got to go trick-or-treating as a kid. He opens it up when he gets home. What are those top five candies that Sean Quinn's looking for? All right, definitely a Reese's peanut butter cup, number one. Number okay. two, a whatchamacallit, a great candy bar called a whatchamacallit. Number three, go. Almond Joy or Mounds. you got to have one of those. Oh, yeah, number the four, coconut, come on. Number four, you got to have some kind of lollipop in there, just something, generally a cherry lollipop, something of that yeah. that sort. 
And then, you know, generally you'll have like, whether it be a zero bar, uh, maybe um, a Snickers or Kit Kat, something along, but definitely, and I'm going to Mike Leach you on this one, no candy corn. Really? Take candy corn and put it on the other side. Send all the candy corn on in the universe and send it with the expedition to Mars and let's see what happens with it. No, you can just send it to me. It's literally just sugar and butter. It's yeah. literally disgusting, whatever it is. No, the, okay. the, you can send oh. all your candy corn my way. That's completely fine. All right, but Sean Quinn now, as the homeowner who I'm sure is not turning his light off during Halloween and saying, kids, don't come to my door, are you, like, handing out, like, the king-size bars of candy, or are you uh, saying, hey, kids, here's an apple. Let's try to be healthy. Well, fortunately, two things. I live in a carriage house, so I live behind another house. So. Perfect. I don't exist as far as the trick-or-treaters are concerned. But if I was to put out candy, I would put out quality candy because I, that is my resume. That is an extension of me. So I would have good stuff. I'd go and you know probably drop 40, 50 bucks over at Walmart or, or Kroger and get the big bag of the good candy, not the cheap stuff where you stopped two minutes before you got home because you felt obligated to do it. There you go. I mean, so, Coach, uh, can we imagine uh, you're me a Ted Lasso costume coming up on Sunday? Oh, I love me some Ted Lasso. I'm about half. I got two more episodes left. It's amazing how many times I've thought about something to do with the team, and I've gotten a Ted Lasso idea. So, love the guy. Uh, eternally optimistic. So, really, some su- interesting sub stories. I found myself singing the Jamie Tart song in the shower that day. <laughs> Jamie Tart. So, uh, yeah, having some fun with that. So, but um, you know. Good, good stuff, man. But I got a couple outfits. We need to win this one, and I may wear one to practice on Sunday night. So you never know. Listen, I'm still. Uh, maybe we can make it happen, if not this year, the next year. Because I've always heard Sean Quinn say, if he has to wear a pink tutu out on Broughton, he he'll do it if it helps the team. Wear, if we got to win this weekend to do it, you may. If you see a guy out here in a pink tutu in a couple hours, it's me trying to get it done. I was gonna say, I'll, I'll I'll do it with you. You just let me know when and where. I'll be out there with you. We can have our own little uh, list our duo going on out there in the middle of the street. We might get arrested, but you know, it'd be a traffic jam like I've never seen on victory. So yeah, it'd be uh, be for a good cause coach. We really appreciate the time and uh, safe travels. Listen, you should have some time to finish those two, uh, those two episodes on the way up there on the way back. So uh, we will break down because that it is an interesting season finale. I'll tell you that. I appreciate it. Hey, you take care. Tell Cam I said, hey, and glad he's got a good-looking helmet in the background there. With him. <laughs> I mean, that, that that blue one's looking good. I don't know about that red yeah. one next to it. Coach no, Sean Quinn, kind enough to take a... some time today. They're headed up to Fort Valley State, 2 p.m. You can watch it on ESPN+. Plus. So, so much going on around the Savannah State Tigers program. Always appreciate Coach hopping on with us. we got to take a quick break. We'll come back with more right here on Second Down. Go Tigers. And then, of course, Jeff Chandler, he was a member of the inaugural event, will be joining us as well, and D. Webb, a former defensive back for the Florida Gators. So, so many people on hand coming up tomorrow evening, and, of course, hosted by our own Florida legend, Ben Troop. Really looking forward to this event, and you can come. I mean, it's right here, beautiful Weston on Jekyll Island completely free to the public come hang out and be a part of history around this game and just the stories that these guys tell i know back in 2019 when we were able to do this for the first time it was just it's awesome to hear these guys get together because when it comes down to it so many different generations of football players but they're all football players as much as the game's changed and the quarterbacks change and the coaches change and uh, you have new fans that become a part of this game. They're all football players. And so hearing these guys go back and forth is just awesome, Cam. I'm really looking forward to it coming up tomorrow. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're lucky to be in their presence, man. You know, I'll be back here in the studio. But, I mean, it's still exciting, though, you know, hey, just to be around. Somebody's got to hold it down. No, somebody has to hold it down. You're absolutely correct. 
Um, but you're gonna be around a lot of legends. It's just cool. It just gets you set up and gets you ready for the game Saturday. And you gotta be feeling a little adrenaline. It doesn't matter about the records. Throw the records out. Georgia, Florida is college football on the Saturday. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, again, that one coming up at three thirty on Saturday, and it's looking like Georgia, according to everyone. We're probably going to see both quarterbacks in this game, Cam. And uh, JT Daniels, Kirby Smart, saying that he hasn't had any limitations of practice this week. Stetson Bennett's been getting reps with the ones as well. So getting both of these guys ready to go, who do you think we see run out there first to take that first snap? Man, that, that's what I was about to ask you, but since you asked first, I, I'll probably say JT. And I, I would want Stetson to go out there because this is a guy who's been hot played the last couple of weeks but I think JT I respect because I mean he's injured but we know when JT is fully healthy he brings a different dynamic to that offense he can spread the field a little bit better has a better arm but I mean I will go JT but we're going to see a, a dose of stats in Israel as well yeah James Cook was asked about this yesterday and he said quote both of them are preparing like they're going to start I don't know who's going to start or who's going to play more but both are preparing like they want to start. I mean, that's some coach speak right there. Like, he doesn't say they're both repping with the ones. He doesn't say who's been going out and getting the first snaps with the ones. He said, hey, listen, both of those guys, they're getting ready to play a football game. Man, James Cook has coaching in his future. Yeah, I mean, he might, but, man, uh, this is the question I've always wanted to ask you. If, if Would JT return next year after this? Would he return? Oh, I think to- that's almost a certainty. Yeah. That's, that's like, going to create I, a lot. I'll say of... this. I don't know if him returning is a certainty, but not going pro, I would say, is almost a certainty. That would create a lot. I mean, I'm, I know I'm looking a little too far ahead, but, I mean, you're talking about the best quarterback room in the country by a landslide if he returns. I'd say it's certainly up there. I think Ohio State is pretty elite. Alabama's is pretty elite. But it's, yeah. it's certainly up there because just barring any transfers, it would be – JT Daniels, Carson Beck, uh, Brock Vandegrift, and then at the commitment holds, Gunnar Stockton uh, mm. from up in Raven County. So they, that's a pretty dang good room, if I have to imagine. I'm just completely speculating here. Carson Beck's probably the odd man out in that situation. You'd probably see him leave. But, you no, know, I, I, I don't think right now, unless he just has an absolutely insane end to the season, I don't know that JT Daniels is top ten in anybody's quarterback rankings going into this draft. Kind of have to see a Cardell Jones situation from Ohio State a couple years back, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you have to. He'd have to be the guy, not splitting reps, and be absolutely dominant and completely show off what he can do to get back there. Like, listen, you're you got five more regular season games, potentially an SEC championship, and then either a college football playoff or a bowl game. So he has almost, or he does have half a season to put more tape out there and get his name up there. But as we sit right now. I think there's a ton of names in front of JT Daniels right now on a lot of these draft boards. And, like, Matt Corral, Malik Willis, very easily above him right now. I know those guys are kind of going back and forth for that number one overall pick. So, yeah, Cam, in my mind, I think we're looking at the fact that JT Daniels is going to be back next year. I, I You can almost guarantee that. Okay, well, I'm excited. Let's get it going, but we still got a long season ahead. Well, it is curious because I think, yeah, you said it's long. I mean, BJ brought this up the other day. Could you be looking at a situation where maybe you get a George Pickens back late in the season, right? Maybe SEC Championship. If you do make it to the playoff, could George Pickens potentially be back for the playoffs? 
who knows? I do know Kenny McIntosh, they announced today, he will be back. So Georgia's running back depth that had taken a hit with him and Kendall Milton getting hurt gets a little bit healthier. He'll be available in Jacksonville. Three and out with B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop, and Kevin Thomas up next.